Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is Growing Bold with Down Syndrome, and our guest is Roseanne Stewart, mother of the amazing 21-year-old Madeline Stewart. In this episode, we'll discover who Madeline is, her struggles with Down syndrome, and how she rose to become not only a supermodel, but the world's most famous model with Down syndrome. Roseanne, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Thank you so much for having me. Now, 23 years ago, the beautiful little Madeline was born with Down syndrome. How did that impact you guys when she was born back in the day? Things were very different 23 years ago. I mean, mm. when Madeline was born, I didn't know she had Down syndrome. I actually didn't even know what Down syndrome was. I'd been raised in a world completely void of disability. I grew up on a boat. Um, I didn't go to public school until I was in high school. There was nobody with a disability at our little school in Cooktown. So um, I didn't know anything about disability. And when she was born, the doctors took her away immediately. And they came back a few minutes later, didn't bring her back. They just came back on their own. And they said to me, I'm very sorry. We believe your daughter has Down syndrome. And I said, what is Down syndrome? And they said, it's an intellectual disability. She'll never mature mentally past a seven-year-old. If you have more children, it'll be detrimental to those children. Um, You know, you'll never have a life or career. You have options. Um, I can tell you more about it. We'll send a counsellor to see you. Wow. And you've just given birth. You've been excited for nine months to have this beautiful baby. How, how, how did that make you feel? I'd been excited since I was 10. I said to my mother when I was 10, <laughs> Mum, where do babies come from? I want one. I mean, the only thing I ever wanted was to have children in my whole life. And when I decided I was going to have a baby, I felt pregnant within two weeks. I had it all calculated, got the thermometer out. I knew I was getting pregnant. And during her pregnancy, I was giddy with happiness. I mean, people don't have to put their finger in the air and I'd laugh at it. And no, seriously, people thought there was something wrong with me. I was so (laughs) excited and so happy. And he said this to me and I just looked at him, um, didn't understand it, uh, was a little shocked, as with, I think, all parents. I mean, I can't speak for all parents, but I believe that most parents go into shock because they have this vision of what's going to happen. And he's telling me this. Uh, My mother was crying uncontrollably and I just said, be quiet, mum. And I looked at him and said, okay, that's fine. They put me in a private room. I cried for 24 hours. I wouldn't have visitors. I I think I told everyone I didn't want visitors because that negativity was too much for my mind to cope with. You know, I was so scared someone else would say something negative that I just shut everybody out. And after three days... I started seeing people again and decided that everything was going to be okay and Madeline was going to be fine and we were going to conquer the world together and love each other and that's what we did. But a funny thing is I put a thing on my Instagram recently and I said, I'm so excited I've just got a working visa for the United States and I got one as an O2 because Madeline got a working visa. She's the only person in history with an intellectual disability to get a working visa in the United States and I got one as her manager. Mm-hmm. And I said, who would have known 23 years ago that I would be sitting front row at New York Fashion Week, getting invited to the birdcage, getting a working visa to the United States? Why didn't the doctor start with that? What were some of the struggles you had? As you said, you had no idea about disability. You had to learn everything from scratch. 
What was she, what was that like with her growing up? Well, look, I I was working full time. I actually was actually I was working full time, and then I left my career to go to uni, and I was doing part time and full time study at the same time because I wanted to get it finished by the time I gave birth to her. And I was in my first exam when I went into labour. So mm. after she was born, I completely left all formal work. I she had open heart surgery at eight weeks of age, um, and after we got home, I just started therapy with her. I would work with her ten hours a day, and that's all I did. She was going to be successful. I had this thing in my mind that I wasn't going to lay on my deathbed and ever regret that I didn't do enough for my daughter. You know, and that was so important to me. So yeah, there were so many obstacles, like having a child with Down syndrome. You have to teach them to sit up. You have to teach them to stand up. You have to teach them to put weight through their legs so they walk. I mean, Madeline walked at fifteen months, the earliest anyone with Down syndrome had ever walked in Australia. That that's what the therapist told me anyway. Um, I mean, I was just the sort of person. I'm very much an overachiever, and to me, I wanted Madeline to have every advantage. So I just worked with her and worked with her and I didn't go back to work until she was, oh, how old was she, five, four or five? Because the therapist told me that she had to go and hang out with people her own age because only through hanging out with people her own age could she learn to communi communicate and to get along with her peers because I couldn't teach her socialisation. What sort of support did you have back in those days? Um, well, we still had... Um, the SEDU, so I had a speech therapist and an occupational therapist. We were in hospital a lot when she was born. I mean, Madeline was very, very sick for up until she lost all her weight when she was, you know, 17. Madeline was always in and out of hospitals. I think we were at the doctor's oh, about 300 days of the year in the first year. Um, she, every winter she would get pneumonia and her lungs would collapse. I remember one term at school, she only went to school for one day in the whole term when it was winter because she was so sick. So, I mean, I was a single mum and um, I had a little bit of support from my parents for a while but then my dad ended up having a lung transplant and then he passed away. But while he had the lung transplant, he was on prednisone and he couldn't be around her when she was sick and she couldn't be around him when he was sick. So, you know, we didn't see them a lot. Um, but, you know, it was her and I against the world and it always has been and always will be and it was pretty amazing and I think it will continue to be amazing. Yeah. So for people who are unfamiliar with Down syndrome, give us just a little insight into the life of a child with Down syndrome. So the common understanding is everyone with Down syndrome was always happy and loving, and that is true to some extent. But people with Down syndrome are exactly the same as you and I. My daughter has her own opinions. She's very stubborn like me. She's very opinionated like me. She's very passionate like me. Most people with Down syndrome are just like everyone else. They experience everything like you and I do, except for because they have an intellectual disability, they just do it a little bit slower. But they still have the same wants and needs. Madeline's going to get married, she's told me, and, you know, she's going to live a long life. And, you know, everything she wants to do, I let her do. Like, you're going to experience something with a child with Down syndrome that you won't experience with a child without Down syndrome. She would run and throw herself in my arms every day after school, even in high school. She wanted me to drop her off at the gate and come in. She never got embarrassed about me. <laughs> she thinks I'm her hero. Um, the love you get 
I look at people that don't have children with Down syndrome. You know, you walk down the street and people stare at you and I stare back and I know they're probably thinking, oh, my God, you've got a hard life. But I look at them and think, oh, my God, you'll never experience true love. And I feel sad for them for that reason because it can't be described. It really can't. The bond I have with Madeline is such a blessing. And I'm not just saying that because I have a child with Down syndrome because when I was young I used to think people just say that because that's their way of coping. If I had a magic pill and they said they'd give it to Madeline to get rid of the Down syndrome, I'd probably do it for her, but I wouldn't do it for me. It would be the saddest day of my life. I do not want her to change. The love, the beauty, the kindness, the way she accepts people, she doesn't judge people. She's never said a horrible word to anyone in her life. She's just amazing. So what was life looking like for Madeline as she was getting older, going into the adult world? Was job prospects? What was that all? What was the future holding for her? So Madeline's job that she wanted was to work at McDonald's um, <laughs> or a cafe, meeting people, socialising, wiping down tables, doing dishes, hopefully taking orders. Um, that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to work at a restaurant or a cafe and that's what we plan to do. I even bought a block of land um, where I live in the outer skirts of Brisbane. We have 102 acres here and I was going to set it up for a not-for-profit for people with disabilities to work on as a working farm and a convention centre. That was my plan. Mm -hmm. Then Madeline went viral and we haven't basically been in Australia much since. <laughs> yeah, well, that happen. was the next part. Yeah. yeah. So when, did, when did all this change? Uh, in 2014... Madeline was very overweight. Uh, that is one thing about people with Down syndrome. They are prone to be overweight. And the reason and that why is... Why is that? Well, it's a few reasons. Um, sometimes they have a problem with their thyroid. But most mm -hmm. of the time it's just because they enjoy food and they don't, they don't mind how they look. You know, Madeline will... If you show a picture to Madeline of her when she's overweight and she was 20 kilos heavier than she is now, you wouldn't mm -hmm. recognise her. But she will pick the one with her favourite dress. People with Down syndrome do not judge on weight, age, looks, anything like that. It's your personality and how you treat them. So I think that people just enjoy food and they don't have the hang-ups we have, so they don't mind if they're overweight. Yeah. So she did lose a whole tonne of weight, 20 kilos. How did she achieve that? Well, she came in one day and we were at dance. It was really hot and she couldn't keep up with her friends because most of the class, even though it was a special needs class, had autism, so they didn't have a weight problem. And I just said to her, darling, what's wrong? And she was crying. I said, can't you keep up with your friends? And she said, no. And I said, well, you're going to have to get fit. And she decided that was going to be what she did. So she started swimming every day. We threw out all the junk food and we just filled the house up with healthy food and Madeline reduced the sizes of her food. Like in the afternoon she used to have two pieces of sushi, now she'll have one. So it was just healthy eating and exercise. That's all it was. And it was just finding an exercise that she loved. Like at the moment because she goes back to New York Fashion Week in, on the 31st of this month, she's at the gym twice a day every day with a personal trainer. But she loves wow. the gym and if I don't get her there, she is really annoyed with me because she wants to be in the gym because to her that is where her friends are. That's She loves all the personal trainers. They all know her. She's there every day. Everyone high-fives her. It's her social space and that's where she wants to be. Wow. So she's she lost all this weight. So how did the modelling part come into it? <laughs> okay, so... I took her to a fashion show. So when she lost all the weight, the thing that really changed was she got healthy. She'd been so sick for so long. 
so all of a sudden she wasn't getting sick. She wasn't getting the flu. She wasn't getting asthma. She wasn't, you know, all these things that had been playing with her health stopped. And the echo was just about to start. And I had been to the echo my whole life when I was a little girl. And the thing I loved to do was go to fashion shows. And the 15 years prior, I'd never been to a fashion show at the Ecker because Madeline was always sick. And as soon as she got well, I decided to take her to the Ecker, do the mummy-daughter thing and show her what I did when I was her age. But as we walked into the Ecker and as we walked into the fashion show, it hit me that as soon as she saw it, she'd want to do it. And the reason I say this was the week before (laughs) I took her to a Rabbitohs football game, and mm. she was wearing one of their jerseys and she was so annoyed with me because she was wearing a jersey and she wasn't on that field. So she <laughs> wants to do everything. So as I walked in, I went, oh, God, what have you done? And as soon as she saw the models on the catwalk, she said, mummy model. And she just fell in love with it instantly. So I went, okay. To me, modelling wasn't travelling the world modelling like she is now. To me, modelling was going and getting some photos done and your makeup mm. and hair done at a place. For me, I didn't really understand what the fashion circuit was, not really what modelling was. When I was a kid, I dabbled in it when I was a teenager and it was just going to get some photo shoots done and that. So I went, okay, well, we can do that. That won't be hard. I'll just pay to get a fashion spread done, you know. We'll go and do yeah, a photo shoot. Yeah. So I took her to get the photo shoot done and, you know, after having a child for 15 years, sorry, sorry, it was 2015. She wasn't 15. She was 17. It was in 2015. Having a child for 17 years, always being told that your daughter had Down syndrome, always seeing it through the eyes. Like I never saw her without seeing the Down syndrome because the doctor told me before I got to see my daughter. So I always saw the features. I always saw that she was short. She was always a little bit overweight. So modelling had never entered my mind. Then all of a sudden these photos were up on this screen after they got back to me and said they're ready to be seen. And here was my daughter, long red hair down to her bum, completely glamorous, makeup, hair, fit, thin. And I looked at them and it was like an epitome and I thought, oh, my God, Madeline really could be a model. Because back then in 2015, you didn't see people with Down syndrome on social media done up and glamorous. You know, the pictures you saw were people that were overweight and most of the time they had their tongue out and it wasn't, you know, how they should be portrayed. And I went to one of my girlfriends and I said to her, how do I get this out there because I know it's going to take off? And she said, what you need to do is make a public figure page on Facebook and put them on Mm -hmm. Facebook. So I did, but we didn't put them on to become a model. We put them on to encourage people to get fit because that was this other thing that I was had ingrained in my brain that people with Down syndrome were overweight. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. my daughter wasn't overweight and I wanted other parents to realise that so they just didn't settle for their young people with Down syndrome being overweight. So I put this post up that said, Get fit and healthy, live a long, long life. It went completely viral. 7.2 million <laughs> views overnight. Wow. And within a week, wow. she was published in 150 countries around the world. She was on the front page of the, the travel newspaper that's on every platform in Europe with the trains. She was published in Iceland, in Mexico, all through the USA, Sweden, China, Japan. She was everywhere. So then how did you make that step? That's all. That's amazing. But then how do you make the step to actually go onto all these amazing catwalks that she's done? Well, after the after the after all the images went out in the newspapers and magazines mm-hmm. and everything, the next thing were the phone calls. So the first phone call we've got was from uh, Good Morning Australia or The Morning Show. Sylvia yeah. Jeffries flew up to Brisbane and she did a story on Madeline. 
and then the project contacted us and we did a story with the project and then Sunrise did a story um, and all these TV stations and then TV crews turned up from Japan to do a story on Madeline and then, mm-hmm. you know, people from the around the world just started flying in and then the people started ringing me saying, can she do this catwalk? Can she promote this product? Can she, you know, do a photo shoot for us? When Madeline went viral, for the first six days I didn't sleep. I just literally contacted people on social media, thanked them for sharing her story, asked them to keep sharing it and just kept it going so that I knew that she'd probably only get one chance ever of going viral. And if my daughter's life was going to change, I was going to do everything in my power to help it change. Yeah, and she's done some amazing stuff since. Like, Name some of the catwalks she's done or the magazine she's been in. We're just about to fly out next Friday for her eighth season of New York Fashion Week. First person with Down syndrome to ever walk in London Fashion Week, Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week China, Paris Fashion Week, Runway Dubai, um, Russia, Astraham Fashion Week. She walked in all sorts of fashion shows in America from Birmingham to, you know, Florida. She's, um, what else has she done? She's, we went to Albania last year. The president of Albania asked her to come over and model in the palace over there. We've wow. been to Lebanon. We've been to, as I said, Uganda and um, China. I mean, the list just goes on. It just, yeah. it just keeps going on. We've just. Do you have a proudest day. moment? To me, as a businesswoman, was when mm. she was in Forbes magazine as um, the game changer in the fashion industry because Forbes is a business magazine. Hers is Vogue, yeah. I think. And also her getting her week, working visa. To me, they are the biggest accomplishments. And also the very biggest accomplishments, I must say, is all the work she's done for diversity and the way she's helped change and mould the fashion industry. So everywhere you go now, you see people with disabilities on the catwalks and doing campaigns. I mean, that wasn't happening before Madeline came along. That wasn't happening before she did the catwalks. Now, like when we went to Birmingham Fashion Week, she walked and the following year they had another young boy with Down syndrome on the catwalk. Everywhere she Mm. goes, it opens people's minds that it can happen and then it happens over and over again. So it's that's what I'm most proud of, the way she's been the fight for equality. So these fashion events are notoriously catty backstage. How How do the other models find her? Oh, they love her. Everyone loves me. No, no, seriously, they do. As I said, she walks in a. I walk in a room and I've got my back up and I'm waiting for what's going to happen next. Any room, even if I walk into a room with friends, it's just my personality. You know, I've always mm-hmm. got my guard up. Madeline walks into any room with her arms out, hugging, <laughs> loving, wanting to be around people, and everybody reads that instantly, feels so secure with her. And they just love her. Plus, most models don't have the following she has. And I mean, she really, even though she doesn't do all the same work as these big supermodels like Carly Kloss and Jenners and things like that, she has had the same amount of publicity. So when these other models see her, they all know who she is. I mean, we, we mm. did a show last season at New York and the makeup artist came up to me and said, is this Madeline Stewart? And I said, yeah. She said, do you mean the Madeline Stewart? And I said, yeah. She said, oh, my God, okay. Please have photos with her. Because, you know, to them, she's so accomplished. So there's no cattiness at all. Uh, She has her own fashion label. Am I correct in saying that as well? Yep. She has her own fashion label, which she's shown three seasons at New York Fashion Week. Um, Her first season was uh, two and a half years ago. She hasn't shown in the last 12 months because she had a heart scare last year. But she has got her fashion label, 21 Reasons Why, and 
probably next year we'll start working with it again and she'll put her next um, style of fashion out. What you just mentioned, uh, she had health issues recently. What was that? What happened? So at the end of at the end of two thousand and eighteen, um, Madeline went in for a yearly heart check because she'd had open heart surgery when she was a baby, and they told me that she was in heart failure, and her heart failure was a four out of four, and she needed to have open heart surgery to meet, fix her mitral valve. So mm-hmm. she went into hospital pretty quickly. Um, and she had open heart surgery, which was on the 4th of, 5th of December, sorry, no, the 9th of December, but then she had a lot of complications and we ended up being in hospital for a month and we didn't get out of hospital until the 4th of January last year. We nearly lost mm. her. It was a pretty harrowing time. But then she was in, you know, three months she couldn't work and then she was cleared for work in March and then we started travelling again and working. So, what, so what's the future hold for Madeline? Well, as I said, she's just about to head back to New York. Um, mm-hmm. She's got a really big show coming up, which I can't mention at the moment because it's still in confidential stages. They've, everything's booked, everything's signed, but they haven't released it to the public yet because yeah. it's a really big show. Um, and then in February and March, we're flying back to the States because we've got another contract um, with a big company over there, Cruise Line. So... And we have a gig in July actually down at Port Macquarie here where she's doing a speaking gig for um, about 700 delegates. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we'll be going back to London, Milan, Paris and New York in September. And in between all that, I'm sure, you know, there's always contracts coming up with people wanting her to do things, a lot of press, a lot of travelling. So what about the dreams of the cafe and looking after customers and clearing tables? Is that still there? That's my dream now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've still got that dream. Anything that doesn't put me on a plane every two to three weeks is my dream. But, no, that's not true. As long as Madeline wants to be a model, I'll support her 100%. I mean, I'm so proud of her and, you know, it's it's hard work. It's tiring. But, you know, every single morning and every single afternoon and ten times during the day she tells me we're going to New York next Friday and when are we packing. So, you know, that's all she wants to do. But that's still my dream. You know, I still have the property and one day when she's not travelling as much, we'll start the charity up again and we'll set up a, not only now, we have the NDIS, so it won't just be a conference centre, I'm assuming it will be a respite centre or even a complete community where we'll build housing and everything for people eventually. That's still my dream Um, and it'll also give her a place to grow old where she'll be around her friends and support. So, you know, one day we'll get back to that. But at the moment, you know, I'm a building surveyor and I run my own company as a building surveyor. Madeline has her own dance school, which she started four years ago, which I manage. And then I also manage her career. So I'm working about 16 hours a day at the moment. (laughs) Busy, busy lady. Now, as you know, this podcast is called Grow Bold with Disability. We always like to finish off with this question. And that is, tell us what living a bold life is to you. Trying to keep up with my daughter trying to live (laughs) to the things she has achieved. I mean, seriously, you know, I created Madeline, but then she created me. And living a bold life to me is having the courage that she has. You know, she really is amazing. She steps out on that catwalk and she's not insecure. She thinks she can take over the world. And I think being bold is trying to live up to her just her standards. She's pretty amazing. Um, mm-hmm. 
But I think also being bold for the general public is inclusion. I mean, a lot of people don't know how to act around people with disabilities. It feels uncomfortable to them, so they just walk away. And I think they need to be bolder because, you know, people with disabilities just want to feel included as well. They just want to be loved and they don't want, you know, to not be a part of society. So I think everyone needs to be a little bolder. Everyone that sees someone with a disability standing in a line at a cinema, go and say hi and ask them what they're going to see. First time it might be awkward, but after that it's going to be great. And you are going to meet some people that will change your life and make you a better person. Uh, What a beautiful message, Roseanne. Thank you so much for joining us today on Grow Bowl with Disability Podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care. And can you please send our best to Madeline? I will. She's at the gym. Yep. (laughs) And listeners can find out more about Madeline and her incredible journey in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Roseanne, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And thank you so much for helping us spread the message of inclusion. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.